Welcome to the EchoCast, episode 88, Turkey Hunter. I'm recording this on Thursday morning before I go and head off and eat a bunch of food, and I uh, will return next week, as always, probably. The EchoCast is a Division 2 podcast talking about the game, updates, news, speculation, the community, and whatever else I feel like talking about, including other games and stuff. This week, we will talk about the Division 2 news recap, Stadia 4K issues, streamers moving from Twitch, Division 2 community topics, a listener question, some content updates, and then we will wrap this baby up. If you would like to support the podcast and my other content, please check out patreon.com slash theechocast. Thank you to our Patreons for this month, Hassan, Darren, Tim, Mike, Joe, DJ, Christian, Iceman, and Justin. Okay, so for the Division 2 news recap, uh, it was pretty sparse. They did put out a forum post, um, so it talked about how there actually will be a state of the game on December 4th. Um, it'll cover a holiday event, uh, which I assume is going to be around Christmas, uh, some presents, which I don't really know what that means. Uh, but it will not cover episode three. Uh, I think this is a really good thing that they're having a state of the game um, in, this, in at least one in December. They kind of made it sound like state of the game wasn't going to return until January, which would have been a real bad look in my opinion. So, uh, so there's that. I'm not expecting really anything too groundbreaking. I assume there's going to be some apparel event for Christmas and we're going to get a bunch more really goofy and in my opinion, kind of lame cosmetics. Um, I'm assuming Santa things, Christmas theme things. It's all it's all fun. It's fine, but um, man, I just love some good cosmetics. Uh, they talked about there, there was a maintenance on the 26th that fixed the specialization on the quip issue, um, and they talked about uh, how there's an issue where Cassie Mendoza uh, that items won't show up. Uh, as they should, and they're looking to fix that soon. Uh, they also pointed out that they're hearing a lot of the feedback about the snitch and Cassie Mendoza and how they work, um, and they're uh, kind of taking in that feedback to um, to have some maybe possible changes in the future. I, I, I get why Cassie Mendoza works the way she does. Uh, with the, It's 32 hours off and 24 hours on, so it kind of staggers. She's open at... You know, depending on which uh, cycle you're in, uh, it's open in a different way. I just kind of don't think it's really as cool um, as maybe they think it is. Um, it does help that she sells some really nice items now. Um, I, it's just kind of, I don't know. She could almost just be a vendor in one of the settlements, and it would be just fine. Um, it would be different if... Um, if the locations that she spawns um, were harder to find, um, or if like when you went there, there is a possibility of, you know, oh, well, you might get, she might give you a new side mission that you can play or, or, or something like that. But um, the way it stands now, it, it just feels a little tedious, at least to me. So that was the news recap. There wasn't a whole lot. And I'm just going to be totally honest. I would not expect a whole lot more. Um, basically until January when we start getting some information about episode three. 
uh, and some other gaming news. Um, basically, I just went to uh, you know some various websites and looked at what the big topics seem to be this week. Um, there's been a, a lot of talk lately about how streamers are moving from Twitch to Mixer, YouTube, and Facebook. Um, this topic is personal to me in a way. Uh, I do stream on Twitch uh, at Bond Diesel. You can find me on there. Um, and there was a time where I was trying pretty hard to be uh, to get partnered on there which uh, really shouldn't be that hard. Um, but when you're someone like me who streams one game um, and a game that on top of that isn't super popular, uh, at least not at the moment, uh, you know, th- those numbers can be tough to get. And what's been interesting is watching a bunch of these big streamers um, move from Twitch, uh, which I believe carries about 80% of the market of the viewing market uh, to places like Mixer um, and then also YouTube and Facebook a little bit. And um, what's interesting about it is I've seen people who are like, you know, significantly smaller than even my stream. I have, uh, I believe, a little under 3,000 followers. I carry around 30, 25 to 30 subs at any given time. You're talking like serious part-time numbers, serious, you know, casual, hobbyist. I look as kind of a part-time job, but not as much since the baby was born. Like, I consider my thing basically just a a hair of supplemental income and a chance to get to talk to people directly while I play games. Um, That's really the most fun I have in it. Um, It helps pay for a game or two a year. Um, And so what's interesting is, you know, people see people like Shroud uh, and Ninja and stuff like that move to like Mixer, uh, for instance, which actually has the smallest share of the market um, behind YouTube and Facebook, believe it or not. And what I think is interesting is that I've seen a lot of people talking about moving to mixer for growth and stuff like that. And that, and that very well may happen. Um, I considered it. If you look up bond diesel on mixer, I have a page it's fairly well completed. Um, and then I actually ran into a monetization issue. They, uh, if you're, if you're a Twitch streamer, who's affiliated, you can apply to, to instantly be affiliated with mixer, not partnered. Um, so you can have monetization as soon as you start on mixer without stream in a single minute. I actually got approved, um, but the, their method of uh, authenticating payments um, doesn't recognize the address I live at, and there's zero way for me to contact anyone to get it fixed. So that's part of the reason I didn't go forward with Mixer, but also it just it's the inferior website, in my opinion. I, I hate the way that their website is set up. It's so convoluted and overcomplicated and you know, you could probably say the same about Twitch, but I, I don't know. But what I think is interesting is seeing so many people, you know, my size or smaller, moving over there on their on their own terms. And that's really cool. It's a new place, something different. If you're bored and it's not like your full-time gig, awesome. But what I think people need to realize is that, you know, Shroud didn't move to Mixer for growth. He doesn't need growth. He didn't need growth on Twitch. He was fine. What he moved there was for stability. Um, they haven't released these numbers, and I don't know that they've even confirmed it. But it's kind of a given at this point that that these streamers are being, you know, are signing on the contracts with Mixer, where they're being guaranteed probably pretty substantial amounts of money um, to go there and stream. You know, someone like Shroud, who was pulling forty, fifty thousand viewers at a time on Twitch, is now pulling. I don't know when I I still watch him here and there. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like I've seen seven, eight, nine, maybe ten thousand people watching him. 
Um, and that's a big change, um, which means a lot less subs. That means a lot less monetization. And what that means is that Mixer offered him such a good deal. I mean, he's not dumb. He knew that this was going to happen when he went to Mixer. But they're offering, they offered him such a good deal that he was willing to take that hit in monetization um, for guaranteed income, which for someone like him is amazing. But if there's someone who's not like him, who wants to go over there and quote unquote make it big, I still think that it's definitely questionable whether or not a place like Mixer is really the place to go. Honestly, the platform I think has the most potential to grow is YouTube, but it seems like YouTube doesn't really take it too seriously. So I don't know. I just think it's interesting. It's something I've noticed that I kind of wanted to chit chat about quickly. Um, at the end of the day, if you're just doing it for fun, stream wherever you want. Um, if you're only getting five viewers at a time, then it probably doesn't matter where you stream. Those five people will probably watch you no matter where you are. Um, and you probably weren't really looking to go full time anyways. So, uh, the next topic that popped up in the last you know week or so was half-life Alex. Uh, so it's a VR only title being brought to us by valve, um, who does not make many games anymore. And this is not half-life three. So I believe this is supposed to take place between, uh, half-life one and half-life two, where if you played half-life two, the character Alex there, uh, this is going to kind of follow her before she meets Gordon Freeman. Um, so apparently at one point there was going to be a regular PC version of this game, but as they dove into the game and were making it, they um, kind of figured like, you know, we really can't go all in on the VR um, and also have a regular PC experience because they're just too different. So they've decided to make it VR only. Um, I kind of don't care about that then. Um, I'll be more than happy to watch someone else play it. Uh, I, I don't think VR technology is efficient at this time monetarily. And it just still doesn't seem like it's really that great of an experience. Um, so it's one of those things that basically I'm happy that there's a Half-Life game coming out. I think that's great. I know some people have said something along the lines of like, well, you know, I guess that means they aren't doing Half-Life 3. I, I bet if anything, the fact that they're releasing another Half-Life game, even if it is VR, probably means that Half-Life 3 is, is very, it's fine, I'm sure. It may not be worked on it may not be their focus at the moment but i suspect one day we will see half-life 3 and that this almost guarantees it on that uh, topic um xbox came out uh, phil spencer uh and basically said that uh the xbox scarlet will not be looking into vr uh, now or really any time in the future uh, which was really interesting i saw a lot of kickback i saw a lot of pats on the back um, obviously all the Sony fanboys and Sony people are gonna say, Oh, you know, these guys are so backwards. You know, we've been doing VR for a while. Um, no one's going to argue that the VR experience on X on PlayStation is very good, especially compared to the, the high end on, um, you know, the other options, Oculus and stuff like that. Um, I still think that VR is five to 10 years away from being relevant um, you know, both cost wise and quality wise and just gaming wise. I do think Half-Life Alex is a big step forward and giving us games that um, people would want to play on VR. But I mean, you're talking about like a literal handful of games. If that that are currently out, despite the fact that VR supposedly is the next big thing ever since the nineties. So 
I, you know, Phil Spencer caught a lot of crap for this. I actually saw him responding to some people I know uh, and I interact with, and I thought that was pretty cool. Um, but I think this is a good thing. Xbox needs really good first party IP way more than it needs gimmicks. You know, it, it tried gimmicks with Connect. It tried gimmicks with the TV features of Xbox One, and they and they need to not do that again. PlayStation can afford to have gimmicks because they sold a hundred million consoles. <laughs> if Xbox starts selling a hundred million consoles, then sure, do whatever you want. But until then, you know, I, I think it's smart that they're focusing where they probably need to focus. Uh, I talked about Stadia a little bit last week and how. Uh, there were some issues with that launch, and then there's been more issues if you haven't already seen it. But um, so the big thing about Stadia is that they were saying, "Hey, you can play 4K games at 60 FPS through our service." And what people realized is that a game like, uh, say, Destiny, um, it, it's showing at 4K on your screen, but what's actually happening is it's um, a medium setting 1080p signal being upscaled to 4K, which is not 4K. <laughs> Um, and then uh, even Red Dead, a uh, single-player game, um, w- was being put out as 1440p and then upscaled to 4K. So, you know, not a great look. Um, and then it was only made worse by Google kind of passively blaming the game devs on this. Um, so the impression I'm under is that Google worked with a lot of the big studios to get these games ready. Um, for Stadia, if you don't know, Stadia is Linux-based, and a lot of the games... Um, that are made today don't work on Linux even now these days. So that means that a lot of these um, developers had to modify their games to work on the Linux uh, Stadia uh, servers. Uh, And that's why I think there's a bunch of games that were announced for Stadia that we still don't see, including the Division 2, because they, I assume, are still making it compatible um, with the system in general. So... I Stadia, I still think I get it. I, I, I think streaming is the future one day, um, but I kind of look at like VR a little bit that people keep trying and they keep failing pretty hard. And I think it's going to be um, another five or 10 years before it's realistic, before it's a thing that can really compete with hardware in your home. Um, I've talked about it before, but something like xCloud makes way more sense where when you're home or on your PC, you can play your games on hardware. But if you're out and you're sitting in a lobby waiting for a meeting or something like that, and you want to pop out your phone and a controller and play your games that you can play on PC and on Xbox at home, and you can you know knock out some levels while you're you know out and about, that's awesome, and that's the way it should be. But Stadia isn't like that. Stadia is a closed uh, you know ecosystem, and even when you're home on your four thousand dollar computer you might as well be on a tablet. And I think that's a thing that one day will be super cool, but today is not a thing. And you know what else isn't a thing? Ads are not not a thing. Just like this 30-second mid-roll. I'm so sorry. Okay, so some Division community topics. Um, I've been scowling the reddits to talk about um to find things to talk about directly related uh to the game um and then we'll have a listener question some content updates um i wrap this baby up and go eat some turkey 
Okay, so um, I saw some things, uh, some discussion about conflict and how there's some issues in there where some trolley teams are basically figuring out how to spawn lock um, their opposing team and um, and basically just dominate them. So apparently this isn't an issue in the round-based, uh, which makes sense, the, the new round-based mode that got introduced with episode three. Um, that's kind of like an elimination mode. Um, but for the respawning modes, um, basically they can just f make it so you can only spawn in one place and you don't even get a chance to shoot. So hopefully that's something they get to take a look at conflict. You know, this is my controversial opinion. I think conflict is the best chance for division to have some fun, competitive PVP, um, way more so than DZ will ever be. Uh, but it seems like they just have to figure out the balancing side of conflict and because balance has basically just always been an issue everywhere um, with this game in the first game and this new game. Um, you know, I'll keep hoping for the best, uh, but we'll just kind of have to see how that plays out. Um, I saw a post kind of talking about some storyline closure. Um, you know, for me, uh, it, it was just kind of talking about how they, 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 the person really hopes that, you know, with upcoming content, we get, we at least close some loops. Um, so the big loops I think that, you know, we're working on is obviously Keener. Um, even though I think Keener is kind of like a known commodity, right? Like he's just a former agent who didn't like the way that he you know, was treated or the way that the shade agency was working. So he decided to do his own thing and he has used every person in his way <laughs> to, to get to this goal of basically getting back at the shade agents and, you know, sowing chaos. So I really don't think Keener is as complicated as as we would like to think sometimes. He's just kind of a chaotic bad. You know, he's just out there doing bad things, uh trying to trying to make things crazy for everyone. Um really the the more interesting storyline I think that we're looking at um is Black Tusk and who their leader is. There's been Lots and lots and lots of hints about who it may be. You know, at one point, you know, when we rescued Ellis uh, from the bank uh, mission, you know, and then at the end, Ellis disappears and we realize he's working with the Black Tusk. I think people thought like, oh, Ellis is the bad guy. He's he's the guy. But then from the Camp White Oak mission, we now know that he was just a pawn. Um, and uh, we know that Black Tusk was intervening from a lot of echoes and other lore spread around the world that Black Tusk had some basically special units going around killing people, you know, and, and, and making things happen to put Ellis in power, not because Ellis is their leader, but because Ellis is not another pawn. Um, I believe they, they've made references to um, that. The leader is, is a, is a woman. Um, I believe that he's talked to her. I think in the white Oak mission, he was talking Ellis was to someone. Um, and I think that's actually going to be something that ends up being more interesting um, it's going to be Fei Lao. Just kidding. I'm sure it won't be, but, um, I, um, uh, I, I am actually personally more interested in the black and the black tusk origin, uh, especially because some of the black tusk lore that you find around the world suggests that, that they, you know, cause the black tusk is a private military company. So they serve whoever is paying them. Um, and I remember that in, in some of the recordings, you actually get the impression that the Black Tusk are weary of who they're working for and even considered working with the Shade agents um, and switching loyalties. So that would be interesting. Um, we know from the Pentagon missions that we are being supplied by the same people at DARPA that um, are supplying the Black Tusk. 
Um, so I'm, I'm kind of wondering if there's going to be some big reveal that the leader of the, um, the black tusk is like the leader of the shade agency. Um, if you got the division two art book, you actually see that there is like a chain of command in the shade, um, agency and, uh, all the way from like R and D to support to the actual agents. And then, you know, a, a chain of, uh, of people you know, leading up to, to who's in charge, um, which the top of that is the president. So, um, and that even leads to like, well, if Ellis is gone and working with black Tusk now, who's the acting president, who is technically the leader of the shade agents. I feel like that's a kind of a weird little story thing that's been left out there. Uh, and then the final storyline closure, uh, I think that we really want something from is the, the Hunter origins. Um, I've argued before that I actually don't ever want to learn the 100% complete truth behind the hunters. I think hunters, um, I think the cool thing about hunters is um, the fact that they, they're kind of mysterious and stuff like that. And division one, they only use black market, um, like Russian weapons. So a lot of people even now still think that they're Russians. I don't, um, especially cause the new hunters use all kinds of different weapons. They, they don't seem to have an affinity. I've said for a long time, I think the hunters uh, were meant to be like a backup to the shade agents, um, basically in case of a keener situation uh, and that they're like a different agency or a different branch of shade. And basically if the agents went awry, they would deploy hunters to go take them out. Um, in division two, we have this added situation where hunters just kind of observe us. Uh, if you ever notice that your UI is glitching out while you're going through the map, especially at night, if you look around on the rooftops, you'll probably see a hunter spying on you. So there's definitely something being hinted there. Obviously, we don't really know enough to make any real conclusions from it. Um, but, but I do think it's interesting. And, and I think that the hunters are something that they should just always draw out. I, I don't think I, I, a part of me just hopes that we never learn everything about them because there's no backstory to the hunters they can give that would match the mystery of the hunters as it stands now, but just please don't make them Russians. Come on. Um, and then another topic I saw on the Reddit this week, um, related to hunters was the proposal for hunter bounties, which I am like 1000% down for. Um, I think they could do that in multiple ways. Um, if you've ever done the bounty system in division two, um, there's always one chain of bounties where you have to work through uh, multiple bounties to work towards this like big target bounty. Um, you have to do the ones before you can do the main one. It's it's always a heroic, um, and it does tend to be relatively difficult. Um, I think it'd be really cool if they made that final bounty a hunter bounty. Um, you know, you work through some lower level people to get to the hunters, um, or if they would make just random bounties become hunters. So you may sign up to go do some hard, hard mode bounty that really for most people who play this game is probably just a, you know, a five minute bounty where you wipe everyone out and get your rewards and leave. And then when you show up, all the doors lock the, you know, the, the, the smoke cloud pops and then you get attacked by a bunch of hunters. I think that'd be really fun. So, yeah, I mean, Look, they jammed hunters into every possible orifice in the first game. Um, good and bad. Survival hunters, awesome. Underground hunters, super awesome. 
legendary hunters, resistance hunters. Ugh. You know, resistance hunters were okay, but they were just such bullet sponges. And then legendary hunters were even worse. And for some reason, they just happened to be working with LMB. And then they, I believe, they kind of came out and said, like, well, that's not canon. It's just, you know, a gameplay mechanic. I hated it so much. It was so dumb because they were just bullet sponges. It kind of ruined the whole. Because the thing about survival and underground hunters is that if you caught them in a bad situation, they died relatively easily. But it's just they were so mobile and so tactical and had skills and stuff like that that made them difficult. Um, And then by making them bullet sponges, you just kind of made them just another tank enemy that wasn't really that fun to fight. So hunter bounties. Yes, please. More ways to fight and kill hunters. Yes, please. A little bit more information on the hunters. Yes, please. Okay, this week we had one question from Hassan, which was multiple questions. Uh, the first part is a state of the season pass. What do you think year two will hold for us? Well, even with year one season pass, I think, uh, and, I, and I've kind of talked about this already, so I'll skip over it a little bit. But like, if someone asked me today, is the season pass worth an extra, what, 30 bucks or 40 bucks or whatever? The question I would ask is, do you need to consume every itty bit of story of this game? Because if so, I guess the classified assignments by themselves are worth the season pass. I think the NSA mission is is really cool, and I think everyone should get to play it. Um, I don't think it's so good it's worth the season pass. Now, the season pass also gives you the week early um, content, which is nice. Um, and it gives you specializations immediately, um, and so, which is cool. Those things combined, I guess it's worth it. But then for season two, uh, or for year two, um, we'll have to see. Because the thing we have to keep in mind is that year one was free. So episode one, two, and three are free. You don't have to pay for them. But the season pass wasn't free, which gives you the classified assignments, the week early um, episode access, and the tech, uh, the specialization instant access. So what I assume is that year two is going to combine um, the, the uh, it's just going to be one thing. It's going to be a year two season pass for all three episodes, you know, early access to, I mean, I guess it wouldn't even be early access. It'll just be access. <sighs> I don't know. I, I'm re- I'm really not sure what they're going to do. Um, the next little part of this question is assuming massive and Ubisoft don't give up on the game. What amount kind of content do you believe will make it worth buying? It's kind of what I was talking about earlier. This whole notion that people keep having of, of them giving up on division two, it's not going to happen in division two. Um, Ubisoft put out an insane amount of content for ghost recon wildlands despite the fact that that game was a complete hot mess disaster and now they're going to do the same thing with breakpoint which while those games i think should be better than they are (laughs) so they shouldn't be in that position in the first place i do think it's really admirable that they still put out a ton of content now i would argue that the content put out for wildlands was pretty mediocre i mean even the the sam fisher thing and the rainbow six thing and I mean, the missions were like really lame, like they weren't good, but it was still content for a game that wasn't very popular. Sold a lot of copies. I know someone's going to post the article about how it sold so many copies. It sold a lot of copies, but that's because it was like $5 at one point, like though you could say the same about division, but 
I'll move on. Um, but what, what type of content? I think that they have to do some fan service. I think that they have to do some type of content that harkens to survival and underground. Um, I still don't think that they need to do like direct, like underground 2.0, but they need to do content that, that gets people excited to, to experience what they liked about survival and underground again. Um, I think they need to put out some new content that's extremely creative that none of us would have ever thought about. I, I think that, you know, just in the way that I think they need to bring back some, um, they need to rehash some stuff. They can't rehash everything because then that will catch just as much flack for them reusing old ideas and content. Um, so I think a mix of, you know, fan service from the first game and hearing people out, you know, what they liked about survival, what they liked about underground, giving us content that's replayable and, and, and takes the good things from those and lets us experience them again. But then also some really creative new stuff, um, that's just fun and exciting and gives people a reason to come back. Um, I think that's what makes a year two worth buying. Uh, and then he kind of finishes up saying, personally, I think Destiny 2 has it right at the moment. Um, and I hope to see that in Division 2. Yeah, I mean, I think Division 2 was highly inspired by Destiny 2 in a lot of ways. Um, and, and I think that's a good thing. Destiny 2 is the premier game in this genre. Um, and even though I don't really care for Destiny 2, I recognize that it does a lot of things really well. And if um, if the Division 2 devs can be inspired by what Destiny 2 is doing and uh, do some things that gets people equally excited to play the game, then great. Go nuts. I can't wait. Uh, Hassan, thank you for the question. If anyone else would like to ask questions for further episodes, uh, you can check out I Make Post on Twitter, YouTube, uh, Patreon, and a bunch of other places, my Discord, uh, asking people to ask questions. So feel free to shoot questions at me. Okay, so some content updates. So I did make some big Patreon updates. Um, I redid the tiers to reflect what I'm actually able to do right now. Um, if you are a current Patreon, please check those out just to make sure you know what you're getting. Um, long story short, it's not a whole lot right now. Um, I want to add things back as I have more time um, and as I'm able to do more stuff. Uh, so I welcome suggestions from my patrons or really anyone. If If you're a patron of someone else and you really like a thing they do, uh, let me know. I'm really curious. I don't really know much about this and I'm kind of juggling my time right now with the baby and work and the wife and friends and family and lots of other stuff. So uh, I'm, I'm open to suggestion. Uh, the other big thing with Patreon is I did fix the discord linking now. So if you're a patron, you should be able to link your discord and uh, to my discord uh, and be able to show your patron status. If you're already a patron, I sent you a message in Patreon telling you how to make this work. So check out your messages. Uh, but for anyone new, it should work automatically. Uh, the other bit of content update is I um, just upgraded from my original Pixel, my Google Pixel, uh, to a Samsung S10, which will actually be here tomorrow on Friday. So um, I actually plan on doing a little quick review on that um, for the uh, next episode. Uh, I, I know that uh, like eight month old <laughs> phones aren't exactly uh, the best thing in the world, but I'm just kind of curious to talk about my experience of going from like a three or four year old phone to a quote unquote top of the line phone. Um, 
in case anyone didn't know, I used to work at Verizon as a salesman. Um, I love phones and technology. Uh, I honestly spend probably most of my day listening to tech reviews and car reviews and just anything technology and vehicles and all that. I love it. And um, it's actually kind of like a little side passion of mine that I pretty much keep out of all of this stuff, but it's something I really enjoy. So I'll let a little bit of that bleed in. Okay, well, and that's going to be it for this week. So if you want to support the podcast or any of my other content, I did put up, um, I've put up a few new YouTube videos. There's another one coming out tomorrow with me talking about episode two. There's new Intel Insight videos going over voice recordings and what they mean to the story. Uh, I released two this week. There's another one coming out on Monday and then another one coming out the following Monday and hopefully every Monday for at least a couple months. Uh, So go check those out. Uh, If you want to support that content, please check out patreon.com slash the echo cast, become a patron. Um, If you are on iTunes listening to this podcast, please rate it, leave a review. I would much appreciate it. Um, I am Bond Diesel on Twitch where I stream three or so times a week. I'm also at Bond Diesel on Twitter where you can catch my various thoughts, state of the game live tweets, and the occasional foot in my own mouth. If you would want some EchoCast or Bond Diesel merch, check out bonddiesel.live slash merch. That's all I have. So until next time. I'm going to go